Chapter Twenty Three of Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story by Charles Ross Jackson. Chapter Twenty Three The Test. As Oakes ceased speaking, there came a silence. Although we were many there, there was not a motion for a space of seconds, not a sound save the deep breathing of Hallen and of some of the others upon whom the duty of the hour was to fall. Men trained for such scenes, always alive to the possibilities, always alert for trickery or treachery, are yet but human, and subject to the tension that is felt even by the most courageous. Then, in obedience to a signal from Oakes, Martin appeared, escorting o'brien who was limping into the room and to the chair facing oakes it soon became evident to us that oakes's real identity was unknown to o'brien even if the latter were the detective larkin he had failed to realize that mr clark was anything but the agent for the property you are wounded my man they tell me it happened in the highway the other day and that afterwards at night you chased maloney on the plains of mona after he had fired upon us "'Tell us about it, O'Brien.' Oakes's voice was calm and strong, but in it I fancied I detected a note of pity. O'Brien hesitated, stammered. "'How did you know it—how did you know when I was shot?' he exclaimed. "'I told no one.' Oakes smiled slightly. "'Out with your story, O'Brien. Did you chase Maloney for revenge, or for revenge and business?' O'Brien straightened in the chair. "'Who is this man, Clark?' "'How peculiar these questions are,' his look plainly said. "'Why, for revenge, of course,' he answered. "'Let's see your wound,' commanded Oakes. O'Brien bared his leg. The injury was now nearly healed, but was still enough to make the man limp. Then, as he bent down to readjust his trousers, Oakes, accidentally, as it were, brushed against his forehead, throwing back the hair from O'Brien's brow. We all saw a long, white, glistening scar, now exposed to full view at the line of the heavy hair the man before us was larkin the detective oakes with marvellous tranquillity apologized for the accident and said why should maloney have shot you what is behind it all speak i do not know it was evident to us all that o'brien was avoiding the issue i see exclaimed oakes as o'brien you know nothing as Mr. Larkin, the detective, you know more than it suits you to tell. O'Brien was on his feet in an instant. Who dares insinuate? Who dares say I am a detective, sir? Nonsense. Keep cool. The chief here has satisfied himself. Tell us, why should Maloney hate you? O'Brien glanced around and fixed his gaze on Hallen. I am Larkin. He hates me because I have been watching him. Maloney is the man responsible for the mansion mysteries, I think he said. Indeed. What else? queried Hallen suddenly. I believe he may be the murderer of Mr. Mark. What proofs have you? asked Oakes, as we all leaned forward intently. No proof as yet. Exactly. But, Mr. Larkin, you deserve much credit, said Oakes, as he led O'Brien to a chair by Hallen's side. Sit here, he continued. I am going to have Maloney brought in now. He has always been a good gardener, a decent sort of fellow. I must hear his story before I give him up to the chief. It has been suggested that Maloney may be mentally unbalanced. 
"'You will excuse me, Mr. Larkin, if I use you as a foil to draw him out while Dr. Moore assists me.' Then, by way of an explanation, Oakes, whose identity was still unknown to Larkin, went on, "'You see, Chief Hallen wishes to be sure of some little points, and so do I. Perhaps Maloney will not resent my questioning. He should have no feelings against the agent of this property, whereas he might object to Hallen as an interlocutor.' Oakes was now a trifle pale, I thought. There were furrows on his forehead. His manner was suave and deliberately slow. But little did I dream the true depth of the man, the masterly manner in which he was about to test the mental balance of Maloney. To one who was ignorant of the terrible events this story tells of, and the dire necessity of discovering once for all who was responsible for them, the effort of these keen scientific men to entrap a weakened brain would have seemed unfair and cruel. But for those who knew the story and knew of the murderous deeds done in Mona by some unfortunate, with a cunning, diabolic, although probably unbalanced mind, there remained only one alternative, to uncover and catch the criminal at all hazards. Martin left the room, and returned escorting the suspect, who was dressed in his working clothes, his coat covering a grey jersey. His face was stolid, but not unprepossessing, his bearing quiet and reserved, his blue eyes shifted quickly. Then, as Oakes stood facing him, he respectfully saluted Mr. Clark. The detective met him cheerily. "'Good morning, Maloney. I have asked you as a favour to come here and identify the man who shot at you the other day. O'Brien has reached the end of his rope now.' As Oakes finished his sentence, Maloney's face changed hue, but he faced O'Brien, hesitatingly, as though somewhat at a loss. "'There's the man. Yes, he shot me,' he cried. Then again Oakes began to speak, and we all knew that he was purposely deceiving Maloney, playing with him, waiting for the moment when he would make the slip, when, if of diseased mind, he would fail to differentiate facts from fiction, when the false paths suggested to him would hopelessly entangle him. The other night, Maloney, someone fired upon us on the road, we have well nigh proved O'Brien is the guilty one. You chased him across the plain. We owe our thanks to you, one and all of us. Had you not been so close behind him, he would have killed Mr. Stone here. Oakes motioned toward me as he spoke. I saw it all. He was twisting the facts, drawing Maloney into a false idea that he was unsuspected, that he was a hero. Yes, I cried, seeing the point instantly. I owe my life to you, old man. I thank you. A sudden flash of remembrance seemed to cross the suspect's face. Then his brow darkened. There was some error here. He was no hero. But what was it? Somehow things were wrong. But where? Dim recollection came to him. Then a calmness curious to witness, but his eyes were shifting quickly, and the fingers of one hand were moving silently over one another, as though rolling a crumb of bread. The man was suspicious of something, but clever enough to be apparently calm, although not yet able to understand the flaw in the presentation of facts. Then, with a supreme effort, he seemed to rally to the occasion and cleverly evaded the issue. I only did a little thing, he said. You need not thank me. The voice was uncertain, the tone pathetic, groping. Oakes had befuddled the poor intellect. Maloney was at sea and sinking. Maloney, said Oakes again, there was gentleness in the detective's voice. He knew the man before him was going down. Maloney, when we were fired upon, you were watching the would-be murderer. 
this man o'brien you acted with a promptitude of lightning o'brien dropped the weapon he had with him did you see where it fell it was a great army revolver a forty-five caliber weapon maloney started and straightened up there at least was a familiar subject he remembered that even though his mind failed to remember the details of the assault but maloney knew there was some mistake it was his weapon not o'brien's that they were talking about suddenly like a flash came full remembrance momentarily only and he unguardedly blurted out there is only one in the county like it then cunningly ceased speaking as though he feared his tongue but could not exactly reason why there was a scarcely audible sigh of anxiety around the room oakes had proved maloney's knowledge of the old revolver dr moore was gazing intently at the gardener's neck the carotid arteries were pumping full and strong down deep beneath the tissues moving the ridges of his neck in rhythmic but very rapid undulations the man was showing great excitement maloney said oakes again quickly returning to the attack before we were fired upon we fancied we heard a cry over the plain a curious one like someone yelling an oath or an imperious command did you hear it yes interpolated moore we thought the words were fire or kill kill we all realized what the clever men were doing telling imaginary things trying to draw from maloney an acknowledgment of a delusion they were sounding his mind playing for his weak spot the suspect looked surprised bewildered and suddenly fell into the trap his weakened mind had been reached at its point of least resistance as in nearly all insane individuals it took but a proper mention of the predominant delusion to reveal that which might otherwise have gone undetected for a long period yes whispered maloney i heard the command it was kill murder i have heard it before i am glad you heard it then that proves that i am right i knew i was right i can prove it surely it is not uncommon gentlemen i have heard it before i know i believe it was meant for ha ha o'brien ha ha no no for me moore stepped toward the man whose speech now came thick and fast and unintelligible Hallen closed nearer maloney was shaking his face was turning dark his jugulars were bulging like whipcords down his neck his eyes sparkling with the unmistakable light of insanity he stooped there it is again kill kill he cried in thick mumbling tones and bending low then he straightened up suddenly and flung himself around felling hallen and martin as though they were wooden men he seized a chair and hurled it across the table at elliot who dodged successfully allowing it to crash through the opposite window quick to see this means of escape maloney followed through the smashed panes a raving delirious maniac the test carried out with such consummate skill had not only proved maloney's knowledge of the revolver and that he was subject to delusions but it had also precipitated an unexpected attack of insane excitement an acute mania and now maloney was gone escaped as hallen and martin staggered to their feet the chief bellowed forth an order in a voice of deepest chagrin and alarm catch him he cried if he escapes the people will rise in fury we all heard a sickening wild yell of defiance from maloney as he reached the ground a deep guttural maniac cry that struck terror to my weakened nerves and which froze our men for an instant in their tracks like marble statues someone broke the awful spell 
It was Oakes, crying out, He is going for the pond and the bridge. And next instant, he and Hallen were out of the front door, the men following in a rushing, compact body. End of chapter 23